Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. If you have your Bibles this evening, go ahead, or this morning, go ahead and take them over to Romans chapter 11. Uh, this morning, Romans chapter 11. Many of you know that this entire year we've been focusing on this book of Romans, and this is our last section of this parenthetical phrase of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. We do have some people that are new here this morning, and so just a brief catch up. Those of you that have been with us for pretty much every single service can quote what I'm about to say probably by heart. And so the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. It was focusing on the gospel as he was delivering it to not only the church of Rome, but also those that were followers of Christ. And so within the book of Romans, he he really, the first section, he delivers uh, the problem of man and God's judgment upon mankind because of their sin. He starts off in Romans chapter 1 verse 18, as you can read it. Um, As a matter of fact, I got a a question this past week from a person that was searching for our, our church and he wanted to know more information about it. And I knew who it was because I saw them sitting there and uh, I could tell by their attire that they would not um, be in favor of generally what the church preaches. And so the question was, I want to know more about the church. Also, what is your church's position on same-sex marriage? And of course, I'm not going to answer that uh, through Facebook Live or through Facebook Messenger. I said, why don't you contact the pastor and we'll talk about it. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 down to verse uh, right around verse 25-ish or so, the Apostle Paul is talking about when mankind turns their attention away from God, they begin to look for all that God has placed in our hearts that leads people to Christ and other things. And one of them being sexual intimacy. They look and they twist what God has designed within the realms of marriage between a man and a woman to same-sex attraction. And so my response to this gentleman would be, It's not what we say, it's what the Word of God says. We have to call out sin just as if somebody is living in an adulterous relationship in a heterosexual way. And I'm just using that as an example because he talks about that in Romans chapter 1. But it's all about what God's Word says. So in the first section, what Paul does is he's listing out mankind's problem of sin and God's judgment upon that sin. Because we are sinners, we deserve to go to hell. We are on that pathway to hell. But in the second section of Romans, the Apostle Paul delivers hope. And he says it's because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that our relationship with God can be restored. And then we move into the third section of Romans. The third section of Romans is dealing with this process of sanctification. It's the process of becoming more like Christ after salvation. We talked about that during our study. You have three stages of sanctification. You have positional sanctification which occurs the moment that somebody receives Christ as their Savior, positionally, they are now righteous with God. They are no longer at war with God because they have received the righteousness of Christ for themselves. Then you have progressive sanctification. That is a process that every single Christian is going through from the moment they receive Christ until the moment they leave this earthly life. It's becoming more like Christ. And then you have ultimate, complete sanctification that occurs uh, when we receive our new bodies. That is the third section of Romans. And then what we see here in Romans chapter 9 is the Apostle Paul pauses. He stops us with his theological rhetorical flow. And he answers the question regarding the Jews' relationship to God. Now, most of the people that are reading this particular book are going to look out and realize that the Jews, majority of them, have rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so they start thinking. 
Towards the end of Romans chapter 8, you have the Apostle Paul that basically says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So they start thinking to themselves, if that's true, then why in the world does it seem that God is not powerful enough to save his own people? In other words, the Old Testament promises that he makes to his own people, why are they not following through now? Why do majority of the Jews reject Christ? So the conclusion that they're making is, if God is so good and so powerful, then how can I even trust him when it seems as if his own people aren't accepting the goodness of God? And so what the Apostle Paul does is he pauses, and in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, he discusses the past situation with Israel, the present situation of Israel in Romans chapter 10, and in Romans chapter 11, the future situation of Israel. As I mentioned, what we have to do is we have to interpret the Bible literally based upon the intent of how the author intended us for, for us to interpret. So when he talks about Israel, we interpret that as being Israel. We interpret that as being exactly what the Apostle Paul is referring to. And so we aren't looking at that as being a replacement of something else. So when he says that Israel has stumbled over the stumbling stone, it is the nation of Israel. And so as we are reading in Romans chapter 10, towards the end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul says this, But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. What he's describing here is the present situation of Israel. He's saying, listen, because you have continuously rejected and rejected the Messiah over and over and over again, and I've patiently reached out for you, and I patiently uh, was, was patient with you in your disobedience, and you still continuously reject me, I am now going to set you aside, and I'm going to focus my attention now on the Gentile nation. That is the no people and a foolish nation that is referring to in verse 19. And so we enter in chapter 11 with this thought. Does that mean that God is done with Israel? Does that mean that God is no longer has any plans for Israel for the future? Is God just completely done? And the Apostle Paul focuses in Romans chapter 11 to answer that question. In the first section, he says, no, God is not done with Israel. He's just setting them aside for the time being. And the second section we see, as we discovered two weeks ago, that the Gentiles now have been grafted into the healthy tree, so to speak, which is the nation of Israel. So the only reason why we receive salvation and benefit from the promises that were made is because of the grace of God. It's nothing that we've done to earn that. The Apostle Paul uses the illustration of pruning. Pruning the bad branches, the dead branches, out of the healthy olive tree, and that pruning are those Jews that have rejected the gospel and replacing them, in other words, graphing in the Gentiles. And so as we move into our third and final section here this morning, Paul reveals God's specific plan for the Jewish people. What is God's plan in the future for the Jews? So if you could stand with me out of respect of God's word, we're going to read Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 36. We will not take our normal time this morning. We will give an overview. We can go so deep in this, but we won't for the sake of time. We're going to be observing communion in just a few moments as well. But let's give an overview. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 25, says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. 
And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall not, or there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them which shall be take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also not now believed that through their mercy or your mercy they may also obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Our theme throughout these past three chapters, Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, has been on the sovereignty of God. The sovereign rule of God, which ultimately means that God is the complete ruler of all things. There is nothing that comes into this life, into this world, without it first passing through the hands of God. We can all agree that there are times in our life, though, when it does not seem as if God is in control. We can certainly, in fact, observing the nation of Israel, seems as if their rejection is proof that God is not in control. But what Paul does in this final section of Romans chapter 11 is he wraps up this section by assuring us that God's plan for Israel is ultimately for His glory, no matter how confusing it may be. Which brings us to our title of the message this morning, The Glory of God Revealed in the Future Plan of Israel. Thank you. You may be seated. The Glory of God Revealed in the Future Plan of Israel. Sometimes it's hard to know when we're right in the middle of a situation that God is working and that He's in control. When we're facing, when we're right in the middle of the situation, it's hard for us to see that. We have trust in God, but if we're all honest with ourselves, it's hard to see the plan that God has because He doesn't fully reveal to us. This morning, we're celebrating Lisa. This past week, she told on Facebook, and I talked to her yesterday, that she had, uh, she had cancer several years ago. So she's been going through all these doctor's visits. And just this past week, she was told by the doctor that we do not need to schedule you in any other visits because you have been completely cured by this cancer. But I can, I can tell because I've talked to this couple, and, and Lisa's mom is here this morning as well. I've talked to this wonderful couple, and they've admitted that during that trial, during the midst of those chemo treatments, they had no idea what God was doing, but they still trusted in God. Matter of fact, there was probably a time, Miss Lisa, where you thought that God was going to take you to heaven. But now looking back at it, we see that God has a plan. He always has a plan. But in the midst of the nation of Israel, it is hard for them, it is hard for us to be able to look at the nation of Israel and figure out what in the world, God, are you doing? And so what we're going to look at here this morning is we're going to break this down. The first point that we're going to look at here is God's, really, His future plan for Israel. His future plan for Israel. In verses 25 through 32, we see somewhat of a confusing rhetoric from Paul. As he explains the timing of God's complicated plan, the first thing that we see here is that the Jews will be saved at the fullness of the Gentiles. The Jews will be saved at the fullness of the Gentiles. What in the world does that mean? First off, in verse 25, Paul starts off and says, For I would not, brethren, 
that you should be ignorant of this mystery. What mystery is Paul referring to? The mystery is in reference to the hardening, the spiritual hardening of the hearts of Israel. The timing and why God would do what He is doing and the timing of it and when all of that will be resolved is a mystery to us. We don't fully know what God's overall plan is. We understand that God focused His attention now to the Gentiles because of the rejection of Israel and ultimately the rejection of Israel opened up the opportunity for the gospel to be displayed through the Gentiles. But the full intricate details of all of that is a mystery to us. And so Paul references that and says, listen, it's all a mystery. We can't fully understand it, but I don't want you to be ignorant of it. He continues on and says, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel unto the fullness of the Gentiles become in. There are several things that the Apostle Paul delivers us uh, here in verse 25. First off, Paul warns the Gentiles to not become spiritually prideful and arrogant based upon the fact that God has sovereignly chosen the Gentiles to deliver the gospel throughout the world. If you look at the previous section, Paul makes it very clear, do not be ignorant. Do not be ignorant that now salvation is being delivered through you because it was first delivered to the, Gent uh, to the Jews. Don't think that you're some spiritual, uh, haughty person over the Jews when the Jews are rejecting and the gospel is now being displayed through you. God's attention was first going through the Jews. It was not with you. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, there's no room for ignorance. There's no room for haughtiness. Secondly, Paul reminds us that there are Jews that still and will receive Christ. This is the remnant. This is why Paul says that blindness in part is happened to Israel. He was referring to the fact that there are some Jews that receive Christ, even though a majority of Jews are still blinded to the gospel. So, we still share the gospel with those that, listen, we, we look back at the sovereignty of God. And we understand that ultimately God knows He's going to get saved and who isn't. It's not our job to do the saving. Our job is to share the gospel. And God is the one who does the working, and He does that with the Jews as well. Paul says that this is all part of God's plan, and it will continue until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. What does that mean? And maybe your version says something a little bit different, but what does the fullness of the Gentiles mean? Well, let's break it down. First off, you have the term until. Well, until, of course, means a specific point in time. The word fullness is in reference to completion. In other words, until this plan is completed. Well, what plan is that? until the Gentiles be come in. And the Greek verb there, the word be come in, is in reference to salvation. It's in reference to salvation. So what he's saying here is that the attention of God is now focused on the Gentiles and not the Jews, but that will change until the moment that the fullness or the completion of the Gentiles receive Christ. Well, what is that? It's referring to the elect. It's referring to the elect number of Gentiles that will receive Christ. So we combine all of this together. Paul is saying that the spiritual blindness of the Jews will continue until the elect number of Gentiles that God has chosen will come in. So then the next question will be, when is this elect number going to be completed? At the rapture of the church. At the rapture of the church. According to the timeline, and we can't be extremely dogmatic about the timeline, because if we're all honest with ourselves, if you go through the book of Revelation, we can do our best to try to break it down. But there are some things in Revelation regarding eschatology and future times that we cannot be dogmatic about. But we can do our best. 
And according to the timeline that God has given us, we are currently living within the age of grace. The age of grace, the church age, some refers it to. God has chosen the gospel to be delivered through the church, which mainly consists of Gentiles and, of course, the Jewish remnant. When God's plan for the church is complete, he will then rapture up the church, removing them from the wrath that will be displayed during the tribulation. And after removal of the church during the time of the rapture, God will then redirect his attention back to the nation of Israel. Understand that makes, that makes sense? So when does that remnant of the Gentile nation uh, fully come? Not the remnant, the uh, fullness of the Gentile nation come, the elect that are saved. It comes when the church is raptured. So uh, obviously right now, God's plan is not completed yet. We're still living. The rapture has not occurred yet. We still continue to spread the gospel, but the moment that God removes the church through the rapture, getting them out of the way of his wrath and, his, and, and the, the, the tribulation that will come during that tribulational period, he then focuses his attention to the nation of Israel. Does that mean uh, that, that there will be people that won't get saved? Of course, people will get saved, but that's a whole other subject for a whole other time as far as who heard it and when they didn't hear it. We're not here to talk about that this morning. That's another subject for another time. Paul says in verse 26, And so Israel shall be saved. The all of Israel is the elect number of Jews that will respond to the gospel and will be saved during the tribulation. It's not talking about every single Jewish people that's ever lived. There is an interesting point that Paul adds towards the end of the verse. After Paul delivers the point about all of Israel being saved, he adds... As it is written, there shall be coming out of the Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is referring to Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 through 21. And this is in reference to Jesus Christ coming to earth at the second coming to rule the earth during his millennial reign. That particular reference is not in reference to Jesus Christ coming to earth um, during uh, his, his, first, his first coming. The time that we celebrate Christmas is not referring to that. It's referring to the second coming of Christ. So if you were to think about it this way, right now the Jews have rejected the Messiah. Many of you that have talked to Jews in the past, you've mentioned the word Jesus Christ. You probably have seen that they've been offended by that as you saying he's the Savior. I'm a Christian. Automatically, you're written off by them. The, the discussion that you've had with the Jews. Now, majority of the Jews will agree that Jesus was a good man. They believe that he was a good man. They believe that he was a prophet. He was a moral man. They do not believe that he's the Savior. So what Jesus Christ has done in his, and God has done through his sovereignty is he set them aside. But come the tribulation, come the trial, uh, the, the, the trials that occurred during that particular time period, what God is doing is he's preparing the Jewish nation, and you can match all these different portions of Scripture together to see all this happening, in order to prepare them for the Messiah. And when Jesus Christ comes back for the second coming, that is the time in which the Jewish nation will realize, oh my goodness, that is the Savior. And that will be their final opportunity in which the Jewish nation come to Christ to be their Savior. Matter of fact, Zechariah, you can write this down, Zechariah chapters 12 and 13 predicts this future conversion by the nation of Israel. Paul then reminds us that all of this will happen because it is part of the covenant that God made to the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament. Look at verse 27. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. God already chose Israel from the very beginning, to be the recipients of His grace. And just because God's focus is on the Gentiles now does not mean that He has forgotten about Israel. God will fulfill His complete plan for Israel at the second coming, just as He promised He would through His covenant. Once again, 
This shows us that just because we don't fully understand God's timing now and why he does what he does, that does not mean that God isn't in control and that God isn't good just because we can't comprehend it. It's just not God's timing. We see in verses 28 through 32, the Apostle Paul expounding upon the consistency of the mercies, which leads us to letter B. The mercies of God are unchanging towards Israel. Look down to verse 28. It says, As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Paul is describing the current spiritual condition of the nation of Israel, the Jews. It's the hardening of Israel towards the gospel. Have you offended a Jewish person throughout your gospel uh, career while sharing the gospel? Most likely. I know some of you work with some. And the moment they find out that you're a Christian, it's not that they don't like you. Their attitude towards you is different. This is because the Jewish nation is currently experiencing a spiritual blindness. But Paul continues. He says, But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. Paul says that even though the Jews are spiritually hardened now, that does not negate the fact that they are still God's chosen people. There is nothing that the Jews nor anyone else can do to throw off God's plan. And one of the greatest phrases within all of this is in verse 29. It says, For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. In other words, God's covenant and His promises that He made to the Jews will never change. God's plan for the nation of Israel will never falter. God's promises remains steadfast within God's unchanging character. No matter what people do, no matter how much control it may seem that Satan has, it does not falter God's plan. And so when you're looking from a political or from a societal realm right now and seeing everything that's going on and all this crazy unrest is going on from the Republicans and the Democrats and everything within our particular nation that's where we live, we focus on that, it may seem as if God is not in control. But the facts are, God has a plan for all of this. It's just the timing of it is not right now. It's building up to God's future plan. Same thing with the nation of Israel. Look at verses 30 and 32. It says, For as ye in times past have not believed in God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they may also obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in an unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Paul is reminding the Gentiles that there was a specific period in time in which they, the Gentiles, were completely lost people. In other words, the gospel was not focused on them. Were there Gentiles that received Christ? Of course. In the Old Testament, they had to become a Jewish proselyte. In other words, they had to convert to the Jewish way of doing things before salvation. Paul is reminding them that the Gentiles, there was a period of time, listen, it seems as if there was a lost cause for you. But in my mercy now, the gospel is being presented to you and there's work happening within the Gentile nation. Just as God can show mercy and does show mercy to you, he, excuse me, he will show mercy to the nation of Israel in the future as well. This leads us to our second and final point this morning. There's a glory of God that is revealed in all of this. As you move into the final four verses here, 34 down to verse 36, or 33 to 36, you see this doxology that the Apostle Paul delivers really in this praise. And I want you to think about it for a moment. If you were to look back at all three chapters here, and everything that Paul is delivering regarding God's nation, or uh, dealing with the nation of Israel, after he lays out all those truths and talks about the sovereignty of God, there's nothing else that can come out of Paul's mouth but praise. 
but honor, but reverence. And he says in verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Paul highlights the complete knowledge of God as described through his omniscience. Omniscience meaning God is all-knowing. Looking at the overall plan that God had for Israel resulted in Paul praising God for his complete knowledge and wisdom in all things. Paul says that God's ways and his decrees are unsearchable. In other words, they are so far beyond us that no one can fully describe nor understand their full details. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I serve and I trust in a God that is so big and so great, I can't fully understand what he does. Because I'm going to be honest with you, if I had my faith and trust in the God that I could completely grasp, and he was completely predictable, and I could understand everything that he does and is working, my faith's only going to be this big, because I can fully understand. But if I'm placing my faith in a God that is good, as described in the Bible, but is so far greater than I am, listen, I'm going to trust you with my life. You know the future that I cannot see, no one else can see. You are a good God, you are an all-knowing God, you are a complete God, and even though I can't see the plan right now, God, here's my life, take it. Use it in a great way because you can do far greater things in my life than I could ever do on my own. Paul concludes this in verses 34 and 35 by really quoting Isaiah and Job. He says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counsel, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? These rhetorical questions are meant to not have an answer. They're meant to describe the magnitude of our great God. Who can know Him? No one. He's God. And so it's always curious to me when somebody says, I walked away from the Christian faith because how could a good God that's loving and kind allow suffering? Well, first off, God doesn't cause suffering. He does allow it. But we can't fully understand why God does what He does. The Apostle Paul recognizes that and says, who can know the mind of God? Who can give advice to God? Who can give counsel to God? No one. God is God. And in verse 36, he concludes and says, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. This is describing the great self-sustaining nature of God. Paul says that God is the source, the sustainer, and the rightful end of everything that exists. There is nothing that exists outside the power and the permission of God. Even when the world seems to be at its worst, God is still control. Now, I understand that the past several weeks, probably month, I don't know, two months, what we've been studying is really God's relationship to Israel. And so sometimes there's hard to, to grasp truths out of that. You know, they, don't worry, next week we're going to jump into practical Christian living in Romans chapter 12 towards the end of the book. But it's so important to know, not only the future of Israel, but what we see in God's dealing with Israel is that God is not a simple God. God is a great and a powerful God that is in complete control. And just because we don't fully understand what He's doing right now does not mean that He's not good, does not mean that He's not in control. But it is so easy to lose faith because we want to see it all happening right before our eyes. And sometimes it is happening before our eyes, but we don't see it because we're looking on to something else. God is a great God, and He's in control, and just because His timing isn't right now doesn't mean that He isn't working. He is working in the future, and for our good.
Thank you.